Hi, I'm Dr. Sarah Howard, and welcome to the Pure Animal Podcast. On today's episode, we're talking to physiotherapist Michelle Monk about helping dogs to live their happiest, longest, and healthiest lives. Michelle began her career as a human physiotherapist over 20 years ago before shifting to working with dogs. She initially started with a short course in animal physiotherapy before establishing her first canine rehabilitation clinic, Dogs in Motion, complete with an underwater treadmill in 2003. The following year, she completed her master's degree in animal physio and has been offering first-class physiotherapy and rehabilitation services to pets ever since. Michelle enjoys teaching other veterinary health professionals about providing quality rehabilitation in their clinics. Dogs in Motion now proudly employs four physiotherapists, an acupuncturist and five hydrotherapists. Hello, Michelle. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Pure Animal Podcast. How are you? I'm fantastic. Thank you. And thank you for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. I'm really excited to talk to you today. I don't think we have interviewed a physiotherapist yet before on the podcast. So you're our first, which is exciting. Um, So can you share, before we sort of get into the bulk of today's um, podcast, can you share a little bit about how you became a physiotherapist, um, sort of what drew you to that field and then particularly making the transition from human to animals? Sure, absolutely. So in terms of becoming a physiotherapist, I um, I had a scientific mind and in high school and I wanted to have a career where I could help people mm-hmm. and combine those two things. So that drew me to human physiotherapy, which I really enjoyed, but I felt that something was always missing there. There wasn't something, that, you know, something just wasn't perfect on a day-to-day basis. I enjoyed it, but it wasn't really my calling if you like and um, so then my transition was my husband and I bought our first puppy a Hungarian visual puppy Toby and we started training him at a facility in Melbourne uh, that had a dog swimming pool and that sparked my interest to you know that I didn't know they existed there was other stuff around and in our human physio journal, um, a course came up advertising for uh, a weekend program in animal physiotherapy. And I traveled interstate to do that. And it opened up my mind to a whole new world that that existed. I, I hadn't known about that beforehand. And looking around the world at what was available, um, it was really clear that in other parts of the world, in the US and in Europe, animal physiotherapy was quite developed. And in Australia, it wasn't. You know, mm-hmm. there was barely anyone around. So, you know, two things happened from that. I was excited that I might be able to conv- combine my human physio profession with animals. Yeah. But also, you know, a, a sadness, I guess, that our dogs in Australia are not having access to services so you know there was a there was a gap there so Mm. the story then went on that the dog swimming pool where our dog trainer worked he put the business up for sale so it was a perfect opportunity my husband sold his business and we bought that and we turned it into the first canine rehab and hydrotherapy facility in Australia like right back in 2002 so Really then I went on trying to educate vets first in the local community but then in the wider community in Australia about the importance of 
rehabilitation. So, you know, I would drive to vet clinics, you know, give presentations, send them stuff in the in the mail. I did whatever I could to um to try to grow that profession. Yeah. And there was a couple of in the early stages, a couple of dogs that really sort of made a difference in my life that really kept me going in the industry. And um, one of them was a, um, a Doberman that had a severe neck injury and came to us, couldn't walk four mm. weeks after surgery. And the vets had said that she was unlikely to ever walk again, yet these owners were willing to do whatever it took. So they lived a long way away. So my husband and I agreed to take the dog to our house during the week so we could, she lived with us and wow. we then had two Hungarian visuals and <laughs> we would drive her to work every day. And so we worked on rehabilitation for this with this dog for, for six months and we got her back to, you know, going for a 5K run with her Wow. owner on a day-to-day basis so it really it, it, it was amazing and it was you know a couple of things I didn't know it was possible but we were told that it was not possible so it was a big reinforcer mm. that you know for owners that are interested in rehabilitation uh it's worth a try and you know since then you know many years on then my aim has been to continually educate your vets and vet nurses about the importance of rehabilitation but also now moving on to pet owners so that they know that it's aware and and they can make informed decisions. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And so obviously this one case was a particular, um, particularly special one for you, but having spent now, um, well, been nearly coming up to 20 years, won't it, in in animal physio, um, have you developed certain passions for particular cases that come through your door? Is there sort of certain ones that really light you up and that you love to get get stuck into? Yeah, so um, there's there's a couple of different groups. The older patients are probably my favourite group because it's a group of, of patients that I feel you know, uh, vets in the veterinary clinics are offering everything that they're educated to do. So they'll be offering, you know, often with arthritis and multiple health issues, they'll be offering medication uh, and that's usually the extent of all that they can offer. And then the dogs are sent back home with their owners waiting to die or to consider mm. euthanasia. And for many of these, mobility is one of the things that causes them to have a shorter lifespan because they're uncomfortable or they can't move they can't get up to your toilet themselves and we can make a huge difference to these dogs so the oldies are my favorite Mm -hmm. because we educate the owners you know we empower them to be able to help their dogs live the longest happiest healthiest life possible and you know to strengthen that bond with the owner and help guide them towards you know palliation or through the end of the dog's life um that group is one of my favorites but still you know like the doberman uh spinal injured patients so so many times they're coming to us after big spinal surgeries uh things not looking good slow to progress and owners are considering wheel carts or euthanasia uh, and we can get them back to walking so of course it's not possible in every single circumstance but there's so many cases where that happens so you know both of those patient groups would be you know my particular area of interest because we have something to offer that the owners have been given no hope 
Yeah, right. Okay. That is funny because um, a lot of guests that I speak to really love the oldies as well. And I think it's it's just such a nice, because you're right. And even when I was in practice so many times, they sort of just reach this point and then deteriorate physically. And there's nothing actually wrong with any of their sort of major organ function Mm -hmm. or anything. It's, It's just that you know, that, that arthritis that sets in and that loss of muscle strength. And, and it's, it's, it's so sad to see. And it's so nice that you can do so much for them because I know that it, you know, it's so important to the dog and the owner at that point in their life after having spent so many years together to give them the grace. That's right. Yeah. And we can, you know, we're giving things uh, for the owners to do at home. So they're able to work on things on a day-to-day basis. So, you know, it empowers them even if they can only come, you know, for a single visit. We can, lots of little things that we can do to um, to help those dogs. So, yeah, it's a, it is a really important patient group um, and I think really important for veterinary clinics to become more aware of the rehabilitation and, you know, offering it to them. Not every client will take it up, but there's so many that are looking for something else and they just don't know that it exists. And so apart from the um, your senior patients and post-surgical cases, do you see any other sort of cases in your practice? Yeah, so our um, there's four physiotherapists in our clinic, so it sees a big mixture mm. of patients, lots of post-operative surgery, so cruciate surgery, yep. patella surgery, you know, elbow shoulder surgery, um, a lot of dogs with arthritis and, and in particular for myself, I'll see a lot of complex um, cases, so complex pelvic fractures, you know, hit by car, right. anything that's weird and wonderful and out <laughs> of the ordinary um, Comes will to come see into you. our mm-hmm. clinic. Uh, but still, we're fortunate this many years down the track, there's many vets and specialists that, um, you know, uh, are seeing that rehabilitation is important and that we manage those cases together. So we work them up together and and treat them together. So um, I, I like seeing that. But, yes, all the, all the weird you know, an odd, complex neurological cases, all that sort of stuff comes into our thing. <laughs> Always up for the challenge, it sounds. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and so what I'd really love to chat to you about today is something that you have um, told me about over email, but I haven't um, actually learned anything more about, which is a new um, program that you've developed at your practice called Canine Extend. Um, which incorporates a sort of a holistic approach by the sounds of it to rehabilitation um, and management of your cases. So take us through this program and why each of those components of it are so important to address. Sure. So this Canine Extend, and the Extend is an acronym. I'll go through that in a second. The Canine Extend has come out of uh, practice over many years of looking to see sort of what's working and what's not working for animals. And it's very clear we need to have a, a team approach and just physical therapy or physiotherapy, just um, veterinary medicine, those things in isolation are not going to work. Uh, we've seen a big change in recent times of people going on to raw food or doing their mm-hmm. own preparation at home. And we know that on its own you know, doesn't work either. We need to have this approach where there's several different elements that are addressed uh, with always the view for me to have the dog live the longest, happiest, healthiest life Mm -hmm. possible. And 
So you know, that was a, a given for me to try and help these guys. But then watching what's happened over the years, this has probably really led to the point where I had to launch it as a course instead of just practicing it. And it came from several different things. So, you know, first of all, my my um, soul dog, we call it. So this is the dog, the one dog of your life. It's like yeah. the love of your life, yeah. the dog love of your life. Um, if you've ever had a soul dog, then you know. If you don't know what that is, then you haven't found a soul <laughs> dog. Lots of people listening to this podcast would probably know that feeling. Yeah. So Lily was my Hungarian visual. That was my soul dog. And she um, developed a lung cancer and died very rapidly from mm. diagnosis to the end of her life. But also on top of that, we had chronic ill health within our family, like multiple, you know, human family, multiple instances of cancer, immune-mediated diseases, oh, autism, you know, multiple severe food mm. allergies. Um, and then, you know, several dogs dying of, of cancer and ill health. Looking at, at what's happening from a scientific point of view in the human world because of our human family, looking at that scientific research, it became more clear as the, the years have gone on that those diseases are mirroring one another in humans and animals. Mm -hmm. So, you yeah. know, I'm always looking for scientific ways. I'm a scientific background. Even if I choose holistic practice, we still want to make sure that what we're doing is proven scientifically. Mm -hmm. Looking to see what things could we do to try and ensure that we're preventing disease, but then also managing it in the best way possible. So it led to this development of um, the Canine Extend. And the acronym is the EX is exercise, then the T is therapies, E is environment, N is neuro, and D is diet. So just mm -hmm. as a little um, a little short snippet for each of those. Yeah, the importance sure. of exercise is really what's the best type of exercise for dogs throughout their lifespan or at different stages of their life. We can see young dogs, skeletally immature, that can be over-exercised and cause problems. We can see, particularly with um, with dog parks and the chuckets, you know, dogs that are um, having increased incidence of cruciate injury, shoulder mm -hmm. instability from over-exercise or really uh, enthusiastic sports dogs owners that are over-exercising their dogs. So there's elements in there of exercise that can contribute to problems. Mm -hmm. But also at the other end of the spectrum, there's a large percentage of dogs that aren't exercised, that aren't mm -hmm. walked. Yeah. And we know that that, like in humans, it makes a big difference particularly for our oldies, we need to get them to walk so they can maintain muscle mass, keep yeah. their joints moving. So the exercise element is working out what's the right type of exercise yeah. for the dog and the frequency. Yeah. When we come into therapies then, there's a whole bunch of different therapies available and I'm always about um, in educating owners so they can make an informed decision themselves so they mm -hmm. know what's available uh, and then they can make a decision so it has to be a team approach we must have the vet on board to do our assessments uh, to do any diagnosis to be um, administering medication or surgery those things are important but because so many more owners are looking for um, different types of holistic and alternative therapies as well as physiotherapy a lot of those with good scientific backing and it's explaining all those different therapies so that people can make a decision. Your acupuncture has become um, yeah. you know, widely accepted now and 
I will put this snippet in because it's one of my favourites. You know, I've been an animal physio for a long period of time now and some of my good vet friends, I have a lot of good vet friends uh, that are probably less holistic would say, Mm -hmm. you know, 10 years ago, acupuncture, that's rubbish, you know, it Mm -hmm. doesn't work. Um, But now because this, and there's no scientific evidence, now because the science has been uh, completed Mm -hmm. and it's shown that it is scientifically viable, now they're on board with it. So it didn't magically start to work. It's been working for that many years, but until the science was completed. Yeah. Yeah. So It's like that with so many things, isn't it? (laughs) It is. And in, yeah. you know, in human healthcare, we look at the levels of you know, strength. It's the same as veterinary, but we look at the levels of strength of the evidence. And if we go through, you know, there isn't this high level of randomized control trial completed. And if it goes down the ranking, the next thing for us is the experience of experts or um, clinicians that have been practicing for a yeah. long period of time. And yes, we yeah. do need to do the science, but there's also... Um, I think if we can, if we're not going to do harm, and we're still doing veterinary medicine, and I would say physiotherapy fits into here. There is not mm-hmm. a lot of animal physiotherapy evidence in the literature yet. Hey, we're making a difference to dogs yeah. on a day-to-day yeah. basis. Yeah, so you can't deny we that. We have to, yeah, be open to the different therapies, and it's you know things like acupuncture and laser, you know, massage, physio, there's all sorts of different therapies, chiropractic, lots of things that owners uh, can make a decision about. So going on to the environment, there's two elements here. There's how the owner sets up the environment for the best circumstances for the dogs and for people coming into animal physiotherapy. They are our pet owners that are, for the most part, they're already trying to do everything that they can. But going back to people that may be um, not in that situation, starting with the basic, like making sure they're sheltered from, you know, the heat and cold extremes, depending on their their age group, and then going on to things like good footing, so good flooring, yeah. you know, yeah. particularly for our oldies. Um, if we were exercising in the environment that's slippery, so same again for our environment, uh, good bedding, like it's important mm-hmm. for us, you know, mm-hmm. choosing a good bed uh, for the door for the dog. Uh, and then any other sort of supportive equipment we may need, harnesses, wheel carts, but also looking at um, a non-toxic environment. So looking at what's happened through, um, I guess, all these autoimmune diseases and different yeah. types of pathologies. There is evidence now about just that low level of toxicity that's in everything, all our cleaning products, yep. our smelly reeds in the house, all the different things that we use have that that uh, level of, of toxicity. Yeah. So trying to make the environment for the dog, particularly down on the floor level there, as low t- um, toxic as possible. Yep. Going into, yeah, and um, the bedding is something I'm super passionate about that almost all the dog beds on the market um, are sprayed with formaldehyde uh, and, the, and, and fire retardants <gasps> that are carcinogenic. So. Yeah. It, um, making sure that you can source bedding that is non-toxic yeah. uh, is, or at least washing covers or washing bedding when you buy it for dogs that have skin issues, for dogs that might be frail or immunocompromised, then those little things can make 
a big deal of difference. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So what sort of bedding do you like? Are you you a sort of trampoline person or do you like more of a Mm -hmm. mattress type bed? So, yeah, we want a, a bed that the dog can easily walk on and off from so a flat bed on the floor but one that has good support for them so a lot of our you know pretty looking fluffy you know furry little snuggle beds uh, might not offer a lot of support and in a little small dog you know less than five kilos or less than 10 kilos may be okay but anything over 20 kilos we need a firm supportive mattress that they can step on or off from and I don't mind the raised beds or the trampoline beds I say for like day use out out in the sun they might be you know an an area that they might rest on but for their biggest sleeping time then a a firm supportive bed so any of the uh, humans that have their dog sleeping up on their bed then that's (laughs) usually a good choice of (laughs) for most people sure the dogs would be happy with that too That's right. As long as the dog can get safely uh, on and off the yeah. bed. Yeah. Um, otherwise, yeah, down on the on the ground. Um, my dogs do sleep up on the couch, so <laughs> they have their other non toxic beds around the house. You know, there's about ten beds within the house, but they <laughs> they choose to sleep on the couch overnight. So I have the big dogs, hunger and visual, so easy for them to step on and yeah. off. So there's yeah. little wee dogs. I don't mind if they sleep on the couch. It's usually pretty supportive. Yeah. They just need to get on and off safely. Yeah. So having little steps or ramps so they're not they're not jumping. Is that best? That's right. Yeah. 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 So it's just that's right. Making a, a platform for them. Um, you know, depending on the size of the dog, ideally we want to get all the feet onto the level in between. So it might be um, I uh, recommend people buy an Ottoman and take the legs off for their bigger dogs that can mm-hmm. step up onto the Ottoman, step up, step up onto the couch or a trampoline bed, they can step onto that and step up. Yeah. Or a little small dog could certainly use uh, pet ramp or pet steps to get yep. up and down on the couch. Okay, thank you. <laughs> um, so the next element is the neuro, and this is this is looking after the stress levels or the enrichment for the dog. So this has become more in vogue in uh, you know in the last couple of years, which is great. People are considering the boredom of a dog left at home and different types of enrichment activities and toys that the dog can do. That's important for me because I want the dogs to have activity that stimulates their brain and doesn't over exercise or overuse their body. So, you know, we're having a shift from, fortunately, from going out and having to flog a dog, like run it for an hour and a half, particularly a high energy dog, like it might be like a border collie. We don't want to have to over-exercise it to get it to then be a bit more calm. Mm. We want to find different ways with training and with enrichment where their brain has to work so then they're happy, they're satisfied, they had an activity with their owner. It can be, you know, playing with toys with them for 15 minutes, games where they have to find stuff, you know, they love to use their nose. There's great ways that we can do that that stimulates their brain and also builds the bond between the owner and the dog, which has health benefits for the human. So, of mm-hmm. course, I'm interested in that. Yeah. stress for, for the human. Definitely. Uh, that's really important. Yeah. So those type of activities um, are important to just help the dog have uh, a more calm state of mind. But also now we're seeing there is 
evidence that our stress levels are mimicked in the dog. So they're having increased mm. levels of you know cortisol and adrenaline when their owners are stressed. Yep. And because we live so closely to the dogs now, they live in they're in our beds, you know, they're in our car, they're in our inside on the couch. They're experiencing that on a more regular basis and the humans have a much higher stress level than what they did maybe 15 years ago on a whole. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we're seeing those things impacting on disease. So I recommend to my uh, community and my clients to do a meditation for themselves, but to have the dog hang out with them and often the dogs um, love it. So your heart rate will lower dog's heart rate will lower, you know, we get our parasympathetic nervous system kicking in. So there's benefits to be had for everything that I'm talking about here for the dogs is also important for the yeah, humans. Yeah, yeah. As you said, they're so everything's so linked these days. So really, um, you know, you can sort of lean on one or the other and, and hope that it will benefit either party by doing, yes, doing things right. like that. Yeah, I like Go that meditation for, with your dog. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, uh, it's a super good thing to, to do. And the last is uh, diet. And as humans, we think about that a lot. If we have a health issue, often we turn to what foods can I change mm-hmm. to try and like reduce inflammation or mm-hmm. you know, improve my weight or improve my heart health. Mm-hmm. And mental health like as that. well. Yeah, mental health, absolutely. And uh, we have less capacity to do that with animals. So I think it's just thinking about, you know, we have a foods for different types of um, conditions, commercial foods for whether they had a, um, a problem with one of their organs or, you know, their skin. But it's making sure that diet is an important consideration and also um, supporting owners that are wanting to feed in their own way. So if they're wanting to feed raw or they're wanting to home prepare, then I think for vets making sure so that they don't say, no, you can't do that or, you know, your dog's not going to have a good outcome, that you support them, you you get some education yourself about how that can happen so mm-hmm. that they're still going to want to come back into that that clinic. So that's happening more and more, which is great and certainly you know, more holistic vets would be open to to that anyway and more diets are being developed that can work for particular health issues and still the owners can have a choice of having something that you know is more whether it's raw or cooked um, is less of a a concern for myself I know everyone has their different level of they do what they believe in and don't And that's fine. I think it's, you know, it's the same for the pet owners as well. It's I support them in whatever that they want to do. And in human nutrition, there's no one answer. And it's important that I can have my decisions or preferences. So can you, so can, you know, the next five people, as long as we're working towards making sure that the dog is getting the correct nutrition that it needs for its its breed, its size, its stage in its life Mm -hmm. um, and supporting people to do that is important Mm -hmm. Uh, and I am a big advocate of filtered water okay Uh, so yeah absolutely then I recommend that the owners use filtered water for their dogs the same as for their own health 
Yeah. Uh, and then there's a variety of different supplements. So um, to make sure that they're coming from um, sources that are sustainable, but also that they're not artificially produced, they're not synthetic supplements. Mm-hmm. So we, because we home prepare and so do a lot of our clients, then there's different supplements that we can use to make sure that our soils are pretty depleted in Australia. We can, even if people are feeding organic or free ranging meats, that we can still put in a, a nutritional supplement to make sure everything is as balanced. balanced and anything yeah. we recommend again is you know it's vet, uh, um, as scientifically proven and you know I have a, a vet within our clinic that works with those clients and a veterinary nutritionist so it's oh, right. not okay. just not just me as the physio yeah <laughs> I was wondering that. gosh you're wearing all these hats I'm really impressed but I was going to ask that question whether you sort of refer out to different specialists in these different areas yeah, such so, as diet nutrition yeah. and things for that yes and for any uh, behavioral aspects yeah. you know, yeah. there's um, dog trainers to help us so yeah, we can't do all of those things well. I can do the physical part super well. Um, yeah. I can do the neuro or the meditation, you know, and the stress stuff well. But the you know the environment, exercise, they're all fine. Diet is um, not my area of expertise. I can educate myself in it, but we and certainly if there's a dog with any type of disease process going on, then we need to make sure uh, if they're wanting to feed a diet that it's a veterinary prescribed um, diet. So, you know, we have access in the world now because of being online uh, to veterinary nutritionists that can make a diet to support an owner that wants to feed that way. So, yeah. Okay. And are there any particular supplements that you reach for? I'm thinking if you're seeing a lot of older dogs, arthritis, is probably a big thing that you're seeing. Mm, so yeah. um, are you using yeah. fish oil, fatty acids, green lip muscle, anything like that? Yeah. So gr- green lip muscle is what we most commonly recommend. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, several several clients would also be on fish oils, high potency like krill oil yep. uh, as well, depending on what other health issues that they had. But, yes, the green lip muscle uh, at the moment is the one that we used most We use most commonly. That's great. Yeah, it's so great for joints, mm-hmm. isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, and because, yes, a lot of our clients are older or as soon as they've had a joint surgery, then that certainly is something that's recommended that they go on to, to support the dog in that way. Oh, amazing. Okay, and um, so is this pre- program live now or is this something that's still in development yeah so it's it's actively used within our clinic and Mm -hmm. we have like I have a community of people that we've started to roll that out to as the the beta course Mm -hmm. and as we're getting feedback from them then to see whether I need to tweak anything then it will be live within the next couple of months oh that's really exciting it sounds amazing and yep. it's I, I totally agree with you that really taking this multimodal, more holistic approach is is always the best way to lead to the best results. So it sounds wonderful. I'm sure that you'll see a lot of really great benefits from that as it goes out to all your patients. Just, you know, practicing it within our clinic is one thing, but because the you know the impact can be far reaching then is the reason for making it into it's a small online education course that people can go in and watch the the lectures in their areas of interest to them ideally they would watch you know all the different elements and incorporate all of them but they can still then go in and ask their vet 
um, you know, can I use this product for my dog? So that's always the recommendation that it's not instead of anything that we say is always that team approach and that, you know, we need to do that together so that the dog gets the, you know, the best outcome possible. Yeah. Absolutely. And so I, for the clinicians that are listening um, and that may not have access to people such as yourself, how are some ways that they can start to implement um, aspects of a program like this or even just one, one part of the program into mm-hmm. their case management in their clinics? Uh, I think, well, ideally that uh, they, they would watch the course so that yes. they could be e- educated about the components that I'm teaching so that they can, again, make their own informed decisions about what they're comfortable to recommend to their patients. And really, once they uh, once they are aware or have some education, it's making sure that we're offering clients' choices. In the last couple of years in particular, the social media has really impact, impacted the animal industry. So people are seeing what other people are doing online, you know, their friends, they're one of the most watched or clicked um, uh, aspects in social media is dog pictures, but there's all oh, really? sorts of ones, little videos of dogs recovering from different surgeries and you know, injuries and bits and pieces. So people are finding out about our services now through social media more so than what they did perhaps, um, you know, five, even 10 years ago. So people are actually putting the pressure back onto the services for what else is there, going to their vet saying what else is there. And if they don't know, then it is their duty to be able to go and do some research. And if the research is there or there's some information there, then they can look into that to help educate their their patients. And I think, you know, we really, as um, as vets and physiotherapists, we're scientists by trade. You know, that's what we do. We have a scientific degree mm-hmm. and a scientific mind is a questioning mind that's always looking for different answers, reasons and explanations. And it's not a closed mind that this is the way it is that I learnt at uni 15 years ago and I'm just going to keep doing the same thing. So we are taught that we always are questioning why and we're looking for is there different stuff that happened uh, you know, 10 years ago, I wasn't practicing doing cruciate surgeries the same way I am 10 years as, as I was 10 years ago. I'm doing them differently now, yet nothing's changed that cruciates are necessarily different. We've just become more up to date with more information. So That's as scientists, right. we need to always be looking for what else is there. You know, I can use that acupuncture example again that it has been working right from day dot, but only now <laughs> we accept it. Yeah. So if people are, you know, for vets that are less holistic and like, I don't know what rehab is, I don't believe in raw feeding, you know, I don't believe in acupuncture or physio is not going to help this, that for us in our clinic always we're happy for vets to reach out to us and you know with an email or a call and say could you help with this case and it happens on uh, a regular basis so that we can educate that no we couldn't help with that or yes we can help with that so I think not looking in textbooks or the old information is what we need to do and look into you know the newer information that's out there and not always in our um, old sort of medical paradigm, I think, yeah. because there's other things that are um, that are available. So, yes, if you're wanting to help and have that holistic view, which means you know we look at not just treating the problem, but we treat the whole dog and the owner. That yep. would be 
the other point of view. So what's the social situation for this dog? Is the owner at home in the day? Is the owner not home? Are they willing to go to other services? Do they want to pay or not? Looking at how old is the dog? What what else is going to happen at home? Do they have a small child? All those things and how they're going to impact the decision that's made uh, for the dog. That's Mm -hmm. that sort of holistic approach. And then if the owner's coming up saying, what about Bowen therapy? Not just, oh, that can't work then making some, you know, some calls to a bone therapist. And the ideal thing is you go and actually have one of those therapies yourself yeah. and experience it and then, you know, make your own opinion up. You don't have to go with all those different therapies. You don't have to believe in them completely fine. I think it's we really need to just keep our minds open as scientists that um, we don't have the answers to everything. Otherwise, we wouldn't have all this chronic disease. The rates wouldn't be increasing. The rates of cancer wouldn't be increasing. Dogs wouldn't be dying earlier because that's what's happening. Their life is shortening year on. So we don't have the answers. So I think that's, you know, we need to start thinking about why don't we have those answers and um, and looking to see is there other things that we could be offering our patients and our clients uh, to look after them and make sure our clients are happy. Yeah. Wow. I completely re- agree with you. I wasn't aware that um, I know that human lifespans they're estimating are decreasing in length um, but I wasn't mm-hmm. aware that that was mirrored in dogs it's kind of sad it is it's, it is and scary yeah. you know all the technology we have and there's so much more money in the research for humans of course no more funding yeah. and we're still we're not fixing the world's health issues they're getting worse mm. and the same thing is uh, is happening in dogs so I know you know some vets would say to me they're not little humans Michelle I know they're not little humans but we can look at the research in our humans to see is there any comparison where we might be able to then look into how we could do or something or other for the dogs I think this summary is we don't have the answers we're not fixing them you know we need to do something different than what we've been doing uh or we're going to continue to shorten theirs you know and our own lives and this extend is exactly for that it may not be the perfect answer might not you know, fix a lot of the dog's issues. Um, if they already have those chronic health issues, I think it would be great if we would get it in in our young dogs for prevention of disease and you know, see that impact as years go on. Can we change what happens for future generations of dogs through doing things differently? Yeah. One other question I had was around whether you ever lean on, I know we've talked a lot about um, research in the literature and sort of new publications that are coming out, but do you ever sort of utilise that more traditional evidence um, such as things with acupuncture? Do you find that of benefit when there's not current literature being published but there's the traditional evidence that exists? Yeah, absolutely. So just to clarify, do you mean there isn't scientific evidence, but the traditional, like the traditional Chinese medicine? Yes, yes. Do you mean exactly. that sort of thing? Yes. Yeah, certainly. So it's 
in, with all these things that have happened within sort of my personal uh, family, my human family and my animal family, uh, we've, I've looked into a lot of those. And yes, those more traditional medicines that have been around for years that are now starting to come back into vogue, you know, they were seen as quackery and now not so much. That you know, yes, like, like the acupuncture and like some of those uh, more holistic therapies, traditional Chinese medicine, I think that that's really important for us to look at and if they're not going to harm the animal like we're not saying we're denying them the other treatments but if they can be um, integrative health is important so we combine the best of both of those worlds and see if we can get a better outcome yeah absolutely that's really where we're sitting saying you know what, what else is there until we actually can complete the science which is always then five years behind but yeah (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> and uh, are, do you ever get involved in any research um, at your clinic? Is that something that you've looked into? So the research that happens within our clinic will be our um, physiotherapy, uh, our physiotherapists that are going through the Masters of Animal Physiotherapy. Right, so okay. they have to do a research project yeah. apart from my own research that I've been you know, involved in at the, um, the Masters in, the, in years gone by. I supervise the physiotherapy students or undergraduates as they're going into their animal physio master so they're only within the physiotherapy area and that limitation is research needs to be funded usually by either a university or a drug company or a company so um, I think we have a real lack of resources to be able to help us to complete research that might show you know, information that already we think is working. So I'd love to be involved in um, research, but you know, it's, it's limited the access. Yeah, yeah, I know. I've um I've had those same frustrations during some parts of my life as well. Um, just you sort of hit a lot of walls financially and resource wise with research. It's difficult to get it get it off the ground sometimes. Um, yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, Michelle, before we head off, are you able to share with us any other details that you have around canine rehabilitation or the Extend program? Oh, I think, look, in summary, you know, I'm grateful for the opportunity at any time to be able to talk to people or impact more people about the options of rehabilitation and what that may entail and that having it as an option for pet owners, knowing that it's there, the industry is growing at least now rapidly. So that's, you know, it's, I'm excited if someone wants to listen to me talk about rehabilitation, (laughs) I can talk about it for days. Um, I'm very passionate about trying to educate as many people as possible. So I think, yes, it's just if you know that it exists, then there's a lot more avenues that you can go online at least and find out information. And if you don't have an answer to something, you know, you can, I'm always happy to, to tell people um, where they can find information. That's what I do a lot with pet owners. If I don't know the answer, I'll connect you with someone that will be able to to help you. So, um, yeah, the summary is really make sure that you are open to other things other than just what, you know, one practitioner tells you. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good advice. And it is sometimes overwhelming, um, even, you know, if you're not just a pet owner, 
But trying to find out information about anything on the internet these days, it's nice to have someone such as yourself to direct you um, and to tell you where to go that, that has the relevant and high quality information that you're looking for rather than getting lost in that sort of Google, Google yes. vortex. <laughs> down, the, down the rabbit warren. Yeah, totally. Oh, well, thank you so much for joining us, Michelle. It's been really great to talk to you. Um, the program sounds absolutely wonderful. Before we head off, Michelle, are you able to share with us where we can find you online? Yeah, so the easiest way to find me is, is at michellemonk.com. So with two L's, michellemonk, M-O-N-K.com. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Great. Well, we'll put those um, details in the show notes of the podcast. And um, I will let you go on your on this Friday and to continue on your day um, and enjoy your weekend. And thank you again so much for joining us. It's been a great chat this morning. Thank you so much. This was the Pure Animal Podcast, and I'm Dr. Sarah Howard. If you enjoyed today's podcast about canine rehabilitation, please feel free to leave us a review on iTunes.